Lord, how you've loved me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. And how sweet the sound, once lost and now found, heaven came down. Grace rescued me, hallelujah, I am free from my sin and penalty. Oh, at the cross you took my place, with your grace on top of grace, and with your grace on top of grace. Lord, how you've loved me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. How sweet and how sweet the sound, once lost and now found, heaven came down me. Hallelujah, I am free from my sin and penalty. Oh, at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace. Yeah, with your grace on top of Once lost and now found, heaven came down, grace rescued me, oh and how sweet the sound, once lost and now found, heaven came down, grace rescued me. Hallelujah, I am free from my sin and penalty. Oh, at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace. And with your grace on top of Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody, and tell them good morning. Before creation breathed its first breath, and all that was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my 
Welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, we have some, man, people back for Thanksgiving, visiting family. It's great to see two of our missionaries, Josh and Allie Ferguson. Where are you guys? There they are. 
It's great to have you here. We pray for them. They're part of our mission team and part of our family. And others of you who've been out, the Hearns, good to have them back. And, and uh, well, if your kids are here, welcome home. We're glad you're here with us. We're going to uh, study the Scripture together this morning. I hope that's okay with you. We're going to do it even if it's not. But we're glad to have you here. Beautiful East Texas Thanksgiving. We are on in the... We are in the busiest week pretty much of our year. Maybe, maybe not as busy as Vacation Bible School Week, but this is our big, huge, church-wide uh, ministry where we are the regional hub for Operation Christmas Child, and that has been going on since last Monday. It ends tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, I think. Is that right? That's when, that's when the last box will be received. I think we'd like them a little before that. But basically, I think there's seven or eight different collection groups, our uh, little churches that collect, and they will bring their boxes up tomorrow, and you saw the three trailers for semis outside. We will load those tomorrow afternoon between one and five. Is it one or two and five? Between around then? Uh, and uh, we need as many strong backs as we can get. And if you don't have a strong back you, and you're good with a pen, we can put you at the table to register boxes because people will be dropping them off and administrative stuff, but that's tomorrow. So if you're able to come up and help, we would appreciate that. And again, the, the, the biggest time is two to five. We'll have a forklift here and loading stuff up, but it's an exciting week and that ends tomorrow evening. And then we will turn this room right after service this morning. We're going to turn this into a big dining room. This is the home of Carpenter's Way Church. You all know that you are the church, but this is where we meet. This is our facility that the Lord has allowed us to purchase. And so we will turn this into a dining room or a whatever you want to call it, uh, right after service today, because we will have Tuesday night, we have our agape feast, and that is a church-wide potluck, and so much food, so much family, it's, it's an awful lot of fun, it's our Thanksgiving dinner, and so uh, there's information in the worship guide about that as to what you need to bring and stuff, but we just really want to encourage you to come out Tuesday evening, uh, it begins at 6.30, uh, you need to just bring two, uh, two things to share, and, and uh, um, like I said, uh, it's, it's just a chance for us to have dinner together and pray together and thank the Lord for our year. And then you'll be out of here and on with your Thanksgiving festivities for this weekend. And I, I hope you eat a lot of good food and thank the Lord for providing it all and all. But uh, uh, it's a busy week. Okay, a couple other things. Because of the busyness in the holiday week, there is no men's timeout Tuesday morning. And I do want to highlight that. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff upcoming. Christmas I, I know some of you hate it before Thanksgiving, but Christmas, the whole this holiday season, whatever you want to call it, has started because Hobby Lobby around July began selling Christmas trees. So we are neck deep into it. You can no longer denying after this week. So here, here's what's happening. Two, I said there's no timeout, men's timeout. We're going to finish Operation Christmas Child tomorrow. So if you're able to help, we'd appreciate it. Then Tuesday night is Agape Feast. No Wednesday night services at the church. Uh, Enjoy Thanksgiving, and then Sunday morning, we're going to have, uh, this Sunday, we're going to have communion, and we have uh, another of our missionaries is going to be in town, and she's going to be sharing with us for a few moments, and then we're going to uh, look at the advent of Christ. This will be the last Sunday that we're going to be in our study of who is, Christ, uh, who is Jesus uh, until the first of the year. So we're going to take some time off for the Christmas season and talk about Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. You don't know why I laughed if you haven't been here. <laughs> so... Um, Oh, so this morning after the service, men, if you would be willing to help. Oh, ladies, you can help too. We're an enlightened world. Um, but we need to stack these sets of chairs and take them out into the hallway, and then we'll bring tables in and we'll, we'll grab the rest of these chairs and put them around. So at the end of the service, it'll take us about 10 or 15 minutes or so. And guys, if you, ladies and gentlemen, 
if you would like to help us. I'm trying to be super enlightened right now. So uh, men and your stronger wives. Um, but, but again, we only want to stack these and move them out. Then we're going to bring round tables in and we'll move all the other chairs around. If this seems too informal to you, that's because we're just a family and this is just our living room. So we'll turn into that. It's gonna, uh, uh, Julie asked me to mention ladies. Many, uh, there's been a ton of signups for the women's, uh, the women's luncheon, the Christmas um, dinner. Why don't you come up and make this announcement? Because I, I really value our marriage and I'm 53 and I don't remember all the stuff. This is my wife, Julie, whose husband's 53. He just caught up to me yesterday. I've been 53 for six months, so he caught up finally. He's a little late. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Okay, ladies, um, we've had a wonderful sign-up, and so I'm excited to see that y'all are uh, um, looking forward to this and wanting to come to the event. But some of y'all have signed up and said you weren't sure if you were going to be able to make it. So I'm just asking you um, today, if you are planning on still coming and you haven't paid for your ticket yet, to try to take care of that so that we can have an accurate count for the food for that night. And so we are excited. Um, We're just looking forward to a really nice evening together, Um, obviously to be with each other and have some fun doing that. Um, But just starting this whole Advent season, um, looking to Jesus, who who allows us to have hope, Um, And our theme is the weary world rejoices. Everybody under the sun can say, yes, you're weary. Um, But uh, we have a lot to be hopeful about and a lot to rejoice. All right. A couple more things. And Brad, you can come on up. These are all in the worship guide. So I I know a lot of you like to leave them for us to pick up, and we appreciate that. But if you take them, there's important stuff. For instance, our family Christmas is coming up, and we are in need. You'll, You'll notice in the middle, we need your family Christmas pictures. So if you would send them a digital picture to Jeff Bonin, it's uh, Jeff at CWBC.org. That information's in there. That will help us prepare for our family Christmas, which will be very different and very wonderful this year. It is that time, and, and the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is shorter. So please take some time to review all this. Uh, Brad, why don't you come on up? Brad is uh, an elder of Carpenter's Way as well as on our personnel team and has an announcement for you all. One more time, and I'll make it fast because my door's unguarded. Uh, we have our staff love offering that we're taking up. We'll be doing that this week, and next week is the last week to, to do that. And this is how we honor our staff, uh, pastors and, and uh, all the other, other members of the staff, like Dolores and folks like Steve that keep this place running. Honor them, and, and uh, they take the money, or the personnel committee, and, and divides it up evenly amongst the staff, so they all get the same thing. So uh, if you haven't... Uh, contribute that I really encourage you to do that because this is a wonderful time to show them how much we love them and respect them for what they do for us. Thanks. All right, I'm going to ask the ushers to come up at this time as we prepare for our offering. And um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we ask that you not give. This is for those who attend here regularly. Um, We're just awfully glad you're here. And from this point out, we are going to focus on the Lord from worship to time time in God's Word. Um, excited, as I know I say it every week, but excited to get in God's Word with you this morning. So let's pray. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Um, Father, we're very thankful that we can gather in this very comfortable place to study your Word together, to sing songs in unison of how we feel about you and what we know about you. Lord, there are those in our family that are not able to be with us this morning. And uh, 
Lord, I, there's more than I can mention right now, but I think that you, I, I, I pray that you would continue uh, to heal Paula Havard as she's recovering from uh, brain surgery and uh, Doug Enfinger as he continues to heal from open heart surgery this last week and the Prothros as they continue to heal from a stroke that was months ago, Lord, and struggling with pain that's associated with that. And Lord, there's so many things going on right now. We just ask that you'd wrap your arms around people and, 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 and love on them. And I, I pray, Father, that not only would the word be spoken here this morning clearly and accurately, but I pray that the love of the Holy Spirit would be felt by those here. We pray for those who are watching by way of internet that you would be with them and draw close to them. You are not, you are not located to this building or connected to it. You are wherever, wherever your people are and, and speaking to us. So, Father, change us and encourage us. And, Lord, as we give back financially to, uh, because of what you've given, you actually own it all. I pray that you would bless the giver and, and uh, Lord, just change our lives because ha uh, we're together this morning. In the name of Jesus, we commit the rest of our time to you. Amen. As you offer to play passive, if, uh, if you're able, uh, you can stand and worship with us this morning. God, he spoke and there was life, and saw how it should be, and who is like our God, who sent his son to die, to set the captive free, we will exalt you, our God the King. Over all the earth, we will sing. Be enthroned with thy worship to you by the praise that you're due. Oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume, lifting you where you belong. Oh, be Oh 
up to you by the praise that you're due. Oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume. Lifting you where you belong. Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned with our worship to you. By the praise that you'll do, we'll be enthroned. And I worship, reach you like the scent of perfume, lifting you where you belong. We'll be Saint of the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He holds in his hand the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land, too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Is this the laser sign? 
shows up. And you go, there you are. There you are, God. That's so encouraging. Thank you for writing that song. Gosh, I love that song. There is, there, yes, that is a wonderful gift, Chad. And your voice is okay, too. 
Uh, there isn't GPS today, so the kids get to hear a great message this morning. <laughs> Just keep them with you. Um, you know, on, I, I want to say something else again so before I jump into the text. Um, this is uh, what we are, you guys. is not a religious body. I know there's an organization to all this. I, I, I work with that organization. The administrative stuff is necessary, but we're a family. And rarely do we have the opportunity to do what families do together, and that's eat dinner. Would you just try to make it a priority to come Tuesday night? I mean, we will fill, this room will be filled, and the smells will be good food, and, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to have a message, and we're not going to have songs. We're just going to eat dinner, and then we're going to have a moment of prayer together, thanking God for this last year. But you are the highlight of that night, and uh, we're going to encourage you. Bring somebody. If you've got somebody who doesn't go to church or know the Lord, we're not presenting the gospel that night. We are the gospel. And uh, we just want to love on folks, and we want to love on you, and we want to love on each other. So if you would, if you try to prioritize that, I know a lot of you are working through Wednesday this week. Well, you don't have to make dinner Tuesday night. You just have to pick up two side dishes. And I think that actually you can actually order them from Cracker Barrel if you need to. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think Brookshire Brothers is pretty good. They have, you know, their green beans are great. I think, I think that's, that's a place that you just make sure there's bacon in it. Lots of bacon. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, the, you know, we're going to bring, we are providing the church, you are providing Berkshire Brothers chicken, so there'll be plenty of that. If you can't, if you can't think of anything else, buy a pie. Sam's has really good pies. They have this, this French silk chocolate pie with no carbohydrates in it. It's incredible. If you don't, if you don't use your glucose meter, you don't know what's happening to your body, so just... All the doctors just went, no, don't say that. This is okay. They're going to go to heaven anyway. Anyway, so let's get into the word. Mark chapter 6. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Then Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led him up the high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were terrified. Uh, as this was our last week's text, and, and because context matters, I wanted to start here. And as we talked last week, there were three things that Peter loved. He loved Moses as a good Jew because Moses wrote the law. He loved Elijah because he was the utmost, uh, I mean, he was the ultimate prophet. And man, he loved his Messiah. Three things he loved. And here, for a moment in time, all three of those things were right in front of him. And he overheats. He gets a little excited. So Peter, afraid and not sure what to say, it tells us in the, in the text, suggests that he makes little worship cabanas for all three putting them on the even plane to, to, to worship them. And as he's suggesting this, it tells us that out of heaven, the Father's voice is heard. It's incredible. Verse 7 says, Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This one, this one over here, points him out. This one. Not Moses, not Elijah, but this one in the middle, that's my son. You need to listen to him. In other words, while Moses is cool and the laws are great, and while Elijah is, you know, we, we want Elijah, we, we like prophets, we want to hear from them, he's the one you need to listen to. There's no comparison between the three. He's the one. 
suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. And one of the things we're learning as, as all of these lessons, and, and again, as I would mentioned before, for those of you who are visiting with us or watching online, we are in a series, it's, it's, uh, it's a shorter series, we're in week 38 of 159, just kidding, that joke's old? Okay, so I won't be using that, Julie, write that down, no, don't make the joke on how long we've been doing this, um, but we're in the 38th week of looking, taking all four Gospels and trying to harmonize them together in some sort of context the best we can to discover who Jesus is. And if you really want to know the Jesus of the Bible, not the Baptist Jesus or, or the social justice Jesus or the Jesus of our modern culture, if you want to know who Jesus really was, you've got to, you've got to look at the story and you've got to, because it's one story, it's one big story, and you've got to build them on top of each other, taking them all into account and kind of putting together an assessment of who Jesus is. That's what we do. We want to learn from Jesus, the, the whole story of Jesus, not picking and choosing, which the church has a tendency to do, but the whole thing. And so that's, that's what we're doing right now. And one thing that we've learned or you've had to learn is that it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about the Jewish law. It wasn't about the prophets as Peter, James, and John, John learned. And I hope that you're learning that it's not even about religious Christianity. It's not about being Baptist or Assemblies of God. It's not about evangelicalism. It's not about morality or the traditions of Christianity. It's not about having the greatest families in the universe or keeping this country going or being healthy or happy and rich. This is all, as Peter and James and John learned on the mountain that day, it's really all about Jesus. And, and I know that it's like, well, what does that mean it's all about Jesus? It really means what it is. It is all about Jesus. Well, what's all about Jesus? Everything. The reason he came is to proclaim his characteristic of his attributes of grace and mercy and love. The Father's will to have fellowship with us was, was made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, it, it's all about Jesus. What, what's about Jesus? My life. Everything I do. Well, Raising my demon-possessed two-year-old isn't about Jesus. Absolutely, it's about Jesus. How you interact with your two-year-old, how you interact with the waitress, as we talked about, that pours, pours a tea on you, how you interact with the police officer that pulls you over for their, uh, the inaccuracy of their radar, how, how you interact on the Internet, how you interact when you, when you think Washington is being unfair to your president or your president is a crook, whatever you think, how you react to that because you are first and foremost the children of the living God. And we forget that. Paul, uh, Peter talks a lot about First and Second Peter, and we're going to get there on a Wednesday night later this year to study it, but Peter talks a lot about it. And his, one of his core messages in the book of Peter is remember your real citizenship. You're, you're not, and Jesus, Peter was the apostle to the Jews. So he's talking to Jews, he's talking to Gentiles who are Roman citizens. Your real citizenship isn't here as a Roman or as a Jew. Your real citizenship is children of God. And it impacts every part of it. There's nothing more practical and more relevant than study the life of Jesus Christ. Back to our story. What a time they had had on the mountain with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they must have been floating with excitement as they come down the mountain. And they are so very excited to get to the other nine disciples and tell them what they experienced with Jesus. We heard the voice of the Father. Peter, who can't seem to control himself, who's a lot like your pastor, has a, I think, I think he was. I think he just over-emotes, and, and he can hardly wait to get to the other nine to tell them what a great experience they had had. And I suggested, like a little kid on Christmas, and I suggested we build these three things, and, and all of a sudden a voice came out of heaven, and it must have been God's because he told me to listen to Jesus, and blah, 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 blah. And he couldn't hardly wait until this happened, verse 9. As they went back down the mountain... 
Jesus told them not to tell anyone. Aww. He told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. There goes that. Peter's plans are, are dashed. <laughs> Verse 10, so they kept it to themselves. Who's they? The three. They kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. So they're, they're talking, and, and remember that it's only been a short time before he started clearly planning, explaining about his death, and Peter's already rebuked him. Surely he can't mean he's dying. It must be another metaphor. And so these three would get together, and you can picture that the next, you know, well, forever how long, until Jesus rises from the dead, they keep it to themselves. But when they get alone in a corner and the other disciples are doing stuff, James, Peter, and John must have gone, remember the mountain? <laughs> Do you remember when we heard God's voice, the Father's voice? How crazy is that? What do you think he meant by dying? That's what it tells us. These are real people. They're real people just like you and I. They had real feelings and real dreams and real excitement in their life. They're emotional, especially Peter. Peter's emotional. Uh, he was a wreck. If you're a psychologist, you could have done work on him. He was probably up and down all the time. He, he spent most of the time taking out the leather from the foot he put in his mouth. I mean, that's just Peter. Jesus... Uh, well, verse 10, so they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Verse 11, then they asked him, they're still walking, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? So you've got, again, I want you to visualize this story this morning because it's really cool. So they're walking down the mountain and they're just talking. That's what rabbis did. That's what disciples did with their rabbis. They just asked questions as they walked. That explains a lot of Jesus' training of the disciples. So they're walking down the mountain and why do teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded in verse 12, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why, do this, uh, yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they choose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, and I, I want to point that out. Uh, for those of you who are wondering how we know what truth is, I want to point out that even Jesus quoted the scriptures. Jesus never, ever, ever, and, I, and it's crazy that we're at a time in, Christian, in Christendom where we have to say this, because the church is beginning to question whether or not there is absolute truth. They are reinventing Jesus in the form of just a really kind of milquetoast, soft-hearted lover of everyone, and he does love the world, but the fact remains, he does call for repentance. Any questions on that? Feel free to ask Kanye, who's preaching more on repentance than most pastors today, which is weird in its own right. There is a repentance. That means acknowledging that God is Lord. He is the judge, and you realize that you're not in line with him. You've got to bow the knee, That's, and you're going the wrong way, and he's the only one that can save you. And, and I mean, it's an incredible thing, and he's quoting the scriptures. If you want to know what's true, don't trust your pastor, don't trust your favorite author, trust Jesus, study the scriptures. Jesus never once goes against the scriptures. He explains them in himself. Very, very important thing there. Yet why do the scriptures say, Jesus said? Takes him back. He will never, ever violate his word. Never. He just won't. Verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd were surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. I, I, just, I just love the story, and, and for Christians, this is going to be very convicting this morning. So take a deep breath. It always is, is it not? But this was really, this was another great week of study. So, so they're coming down the mountain, and, and Jesus is Jesus, he's a cool cat, 
And the three disciples are just, you know, John and James are mellow. And Peter's like, and they come down. And and it's kind of like, I don't know, moments go like this for you. Uh, You come back from vacation and you've been gone for a week and you're going to come back to your house and you've kind of got yourself emotional. Okay, at least I get to wash my clothes and my own laundry and and we're going to get back into some routine. There's comfort in that. But you drive up the driveway and you realize your house burned down. That's what this was like. Because what's going on here is the nine are surrounded by a mob, you guys. So Jesus, Peter, and John are coming down the mountain. They're excited. They had a good time. They get home, and guess what? There is a mob around these other nine. And they are arguing with our boys. It's a small riot. Verse 15. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Finally, Jesus is back. He's the one we want to deal with anyway. I want you to pay attention here because the crowd is excited to see Jesus. They're excited that he's returned from the mountain because, frankly, the nine were disappointed. They were a letdown. They wanted to see Jesus in the first place, but the nine kicked themselves in. They kicked into gear. They were going to do ministry, and they were a letdown. Verse 16, so the crowd runs to Jesus, and he asked them the question, what is all this arguing about, he asked. Verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and he said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit and won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Remember, this isn't a rowdy thing for them to do. They didn't, they didn't overlean their skis, if you've ever skied. They didn't jump the shark if you're a Happy Days fan. Back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus told them this. He called the 12 disciples together and he began sending them out two by two, giving them the authority to cast out evil spirits. They had been tasked with this very specific thing that they couldn't accomplish here. Okay, so you need to picture the scene because I think it's going to hit home with you as it did with this week. And we have a lot at Carpenter's Way, we have a lot of people who have been in ministry in the past So this is especially, and I've talked to a couple of you this morning, this text is especially convicting for full-time vocational shepherds. And for those of you who no longer do it, just bear with me in this story because you are going to see how familiar this is. We just learned that Jesus had previously sent the disciples out two by two. We studied this months ago. And they were told to teach, minister, specifically to cast out demons. It is reasonable to think that they had, we know for sure that they had gone out at least one time. It is reasonable to think that they had gone out multiple times on their own, teaching, ministering, and casting out demons. This was something they did probably fairly regularly, and they were comfortable with at this point. I want you to remember the context here. This previous week was leading up to this moment had been an intense one. It started with Jesus asking the disciples who the crowd thought he was, and you remember in last week's message that he told them that, he, uh, that the crowd thought he was a prophet. Then he asked them, who do you guys say I am? And Peter speaks up properly this time and says, you are the Messiah. After which Jesus begins praising them and explains that he's going to die. And it tells us in the Gospels that he begins for the first time explaining that he's going to die uh, clearly to them. If you remember, this upset Peter greatly. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus refers to him as Satan tempting him. And it gets weird. After that, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and the other nine stay behind and wait for their return. I think it's reasonable to think they felt left out. 
I have no, I, there's no scripture that says that, but these are real guys. And we know later in the ministry, they're all fighting over who's Jesus' favorites, who's going to be the right and his left. I just, I, look, if we're going to really learn who Jesus is and really learn who these people are, we're going to have to really look at them. And that includes, honestly, these were not a together, a together group of guys. These were guys who really struggled with the same things you do. Why are you taking Peter, James, and John up the mountain? Why can't I go? And Jesus, of course, didn't answer those questions. But they're probably feeling a bit left out. And while Peter and Jesus and James and John are gone, this man with the crowd with him comes asking, where's Jesus? Now, I want to be clear. I'm making all this up. Okay? But this is how we get to the context. A crowd comes looking for Jesus. And the disciples say, well, he's up the mountain with, with his three favorite boys. I don't know why I picked them, but it, you know, I'm, I'm making that up. But he's up the mountain. So he's not here. Can I take your phone number? We'll call you back when you have time. The guy says, well, we have this demon-possessed, I got a demon-possessed kid. And what do the disciples think? We got this. That's right, Zach. No problem. You don't need Jesus. This is what we do. Hey, you don't need Peter, James, John, or Jesus. Heck, you don't need Moses or Elijah for this job. We got this one. And they begin to cast out the demon. There's only one problem. It doesn't work. This is huge. This is like how you feel when you have an internet problem and you call to have it fixed and you get tech level one people who tell you to do what you've already done because we all know, I hope you know this by now, 96% of the problems with a computer are fixed by restarting your computer. Did you know that? Yeah. When you've restarted it five times and you call them with a problem and they tell you to restart your computer, you want to go off. That's how they felt. And then all of a sudden, Steve Jobs shows up. That's the story. That's what you got going on here. And they're excited, they're excited to do it. Back to our story, Mark 9, verse 19. So Jesus says to them, when he find out, finds out what's going on, that he couldn't cast out the demons, he looks at them and he says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I know what you're thinking. What's Jesus so mad about? Is he, who's he mad at? Is he mad at the crowd? Is he mad at the disciples? And the answer is yes. He's angry with all of them. But most specifically, he's upset with the disciples. And this is what's so interesting. How do I know that? Because he looked at them and he said, how, how long must I be with you? They had been hanging out with him now for over two years. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him calm a storm. They had seen him feed thousands of people on at least two different occasions with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. They had seen him do things that nobody could explain. He had raised the dead. They had seen him cast out demons, all of this stuff. And they couldn't even cast out a couple little demons. And that's why he's frustrated. That's why he asked, how long do I need to be with you? How much more do you need to see? In other words, have you learned nothing from our time together? I'm sure that the disciples thought exactly what you're thinking right now. What did they do wrong? I mean, they, they tried. They, they actually wanted to do it. I mean, should they have not taken the case on? I mean, he told them to cast out demons. Why is this a problem for Jesus? But no one's talking. No one dares ask that question. I imagine that the good feels of Peter, James, and John are now gone. Here we go again. We keep getting rebuked. We keep doing the wrong thing. Verse 20, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. 
How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Wow. (laughs) Interesting end there. Well, Jesus doesn't miss that. And verse 23 says, what do you mean if I can, he asked. Anything's Anything's possible if a person believes. The interaction between Jesus and this man is kind of sad, and, and, and I want to tell you why. You see, this man went to the rabbi healer that he heard could cast demons out. He had every bit of confidence, enough to travel with this crowd of people, it might have been his friends and some Pharisees and religious leaders, to go find this Jesus guy. He has all faith that he can do it until his disciples kick in and can't do it. And now you have a guy wondering if this man, Jesus, this, this rabbi, is even capable. Um, just a side note, our behavior as Christ followers has a huge impact on what seekers think of Jesus. Let that sink in. I, I, I know, just don't worry, I'm going to get you to why Jesus is upset, and it's going to come together, I promise, just like my study this week. Because at this point, you're going, well, how did they know if they could cast out demons? I mean, at least they tried. You've got to give them points for trying. Please understand, that's the problem with our Christianity today. We don't try to be Christians. We are. We don't try to be disciples. We are disciples of the living God. This isn't an attempt. It isn't a try. It isn't, a, it isn't some sort of, I don't know, what else do I got? What other options have I got? I might as well go to Jesus. That's not how this is. This is the conviction that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, absolutely the second member of the Trinity, who, whose power raises the dead, makes the lame walk, the blind see, demons come out just by seeing his face or hearing his name. Christianity, in a culture like ours, and maybe in a culture like theirs, became kind of an add-on option. You found the rabbi you liked the most, and you just attach yourself to him. We're all kind of believers. More on that in a few moments. The disciples were confident that they could take care of this person. When they fail, this person begins doubting their God. Our behavior is Christ followers has a huge impact on what seekers think of our Lord. The Father's response after talking with Jesus is awesome here. I love it. Mark 9, 24. The Father instantly cried out. Talking with Jesus changed his view. He's reminded. Oh, I do believe. I do believe. Would you please help me with my unbelief? I think that's one of the coolest verses in Scripture. Because that's where we got to be. Look, I know, when you get a diagnosis of cancer, your kid's demon-possessed, or something tragic is going on in your life, you, you will say, and I, I know most of you, I know you love God, I know you trust God, but you say, God can handle this. God, help me believe you can handle this. That's what that prayer is. This guy was doubting when he met the, met the disciples of Jesus, and he meets with Jesus, and he says, if you can do this, and Jesus calls him out, and he goes, oh, I know you can, I, help me where I don't know it. I mean, there's parts of my heart. Have you ever had that? If this is your trust thing, I believe about that much. But I love his prayer. And this is a prayer. I believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe we should start praying that a little bit. You see, Satan, and and this is is important because I, I I know this is a text that people love to use to talk about healing and how to get your healing. I mean, there's ministries on TBN called Get Your Miracle Today. I, I want you to know that's a satanic distraction because this has nothing to do with a miracle. This has everything to do with whether or not this man and the disciples believe Jesus Christ is capable. 
That's what it's about. This isn't about self. I want you to know how effective Satan has been, and I know you know this. Satan has effectively robbed Christianity of its God focus and now put it on us. Every one of us in this room want a miracle. Every one of us. Whether it's a healing, whether it is money, whether it's a more effective pastor, whatever. I'm, I'm kidding. I could, nobody is more effective. You're blessed beyond measure. Take a breath. But we all want something. Agreed? Retirement at 28. I didn't mean it, Zach. We all want something. We all want our miracle. And some of us are willing to send $50 to a faith healer who will send us a little piece of, of cheap cloth that he prayed over or she prayed over in order to get it. What do I got to lose? At least I'm trying. Because what we want is not more of Jesus. We want more of us. This text has really not much to do with that. This is about faith. Not shallow faith that says, I get what I want today. Real faith on whether or not we believe that Jesus Christ is capable of doing anything and having enough faith to believe him if he chooses not to do the anything we want him to do. Satan wants us stuck on healings, how to get it, how much faith we need to get it, mustard seed to get our miracle. That question, that line of thought is satanic. While very human, it is self-centered instead of God-centered. Jesus demands, the Father demands, that our obsession is Jesus, not ourselves. In recent weeks, we've heard Jesus say, actually, in the recent week, the week before, Jesus tells the disciples and the crowd, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to put your selfish ambitions aside, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's the call of Jesus. You can't take one text and just decide what he means by that text because it works to, in your circumstance. The whole thing together. Jesus, on multiple occasions, including the week before, has just said, put you aside and follow me. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross soon. Clearly says it. And then he invites them to join him. Faith in God that Jesus was teaching the disciples about when the storms on the sea rose, or they didn't have enough food, or they didn't know where to sleep, is faith that while knowing he is capable of healing, saving, feeding, or fulfilling whatever our needs are or wants, real God-honoring faith is believing that even if he does not, he is still a good God. This is the part I don't know how to explain. I've been telling Julie for three days, I'm, I'm not sure how to explain this to you. But as I look at my own heart, whenever I think about faith, I think, okay, I'm saved. So now what's faith? Faith is believing that God will accomplish the things I want him to accomplish. That's actually how we define faith, by, by saying it that way or intention in the church. We say, dear God, or some of us have abandoned that, and we don't even ask for a healing anymore because we just don't think God will do it. But somewhere in the middle is where God wants us to be. God wants that father to say, I know you can heal me, but even if you choose not to, I won't bow. Why do I think that's the kind of God-honoring faith? Because that's the faith Jesus had. I want to remind you on multiple occasions, Jesus said, I didn't come to do my own will. That says he had a will. As a man that was different than the father's. Even the night he's betrayed, he is going to pray that the father will remove this cup from him. But not my will, yours be done. So the truth is that Jesus' prayer was not fulfilled by the father. His will wasn't. 
His, the Father's will was that through Jesus the world would be saved, which would require him to die. And there was a part of Jesus that didn't want to do that. Just to be clear, being a servant of the Most High, being a child of the Most High, being an heir to all of that that is coming, doesn't preclude you from pain, suffering, difficulty. In fact, what the world needs to see is our trust in God that mimics Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar asked these three young men, what God can save you from my hand, they stand tall. In fact, it's the one time they don't call him king. They call him Nebuchadnezzar. They call him by his name. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is clearly able to save us from your hand. Remember the next line? But even if he chooses not to, we will not bow. That is faith that honors God. Well, what does that have to do with this story? Well, let's get back to the story. This guy's prayer. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear or speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. I just want to make something clear. God is able and faithful to do whatever you ask him to do, as long as it doesn't go against his character, whether he does it or not. God is able and capable to do anything you ask him to do, even if he does not do it. The question is, will you still be faithful? Will you still choose, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, never to bow to self? For us, it's not Nebuchadnezzar or his huge statue. It's self. It's, it's the problem this guy had. Rabbi, Rabbi, where's the rabbi? My son, he's demon-possessed, and he's, he's going to kill himself. He keeps, he keeps falling into the fire. Rabbi, where is he? Oh, uh, Jesus is out right now with uh, three of his boys, and they're just taking a night off. It's kind of a sabbatical. It's not a messianic sabbatical. But uh, what's your problem? Let us handle it. Well, you see, my son is demon-possessed. <laughs> we can do demons. Demons we do. We can't raise the dead yet. We don't know about that. But demons we do. So... Verse 37. All right, actually, let me show you another verse. <clears throat> John 12, 37. Why is it like this? I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff to you because I'm going to get to the end. Just bear with me because at the end I'm going to bring this all together and tell you why it matters. But, but I really want this to sink in. All of us in this room think from a human point of view, if Jesus would just go into hospitals and actually heal everybody in a hospital, wouldn't the world come to follow Jesus? The answer is no. This is a different kind of belief. We're talking about the kind of belief that glorifies God. That is absolute surrender of your life. I want to remind you that when you came to Christ, Romans 10 tells us how. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is mostly Lord. Lord of all. That includes hell. That includes life. That includes my son's diabetes. It includes you. It includes offerings. It includes my health. It includes everything. Jesus is Lord. Believe that Jesus is Lord. That's what he desires. He desires us to bow the knee, which I, I keep telling you through this study, I keep reminding, remembering, I used to bow. I used to actually find a corner, and I, I, 
of my house and I would get on my knee and I would talk to the Lord. I don't bow much anymore. I'm starting to bow more because it's good for me to remember that he's king and I'm not. That one day I will be completely healthy. My scoliosis will be gone. My diabetes will be gone. The vegetables will taste better and won't be deep fried. No shot at East Texas. The truth is, I know that one day, all of my dreams will come true. But that's not promised now. That's promised later. That's why Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. He says later that in there, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust and thief doesn't destroy. He's telling me, don't put your hope in now. You put your hope in now, you're going to get exactly what, you, what's, what it's worth. It'll, it'll fall apart. Because at some point, all of us are going to die. He's saying, you put your hope in me. You put your wants in the future. Belief in, in God is a complete faith and trust that, that he's capable, but even if he doesn't, we don't bow. We stay faithful to him, even if he doesn't seem faithful to us. And this guy saying, well, you, you didn't give me what I asked. Your disciples couldn't do it, so maybe you're not able to do this. Excuse me, sir, did you just say if? Well, I... I believe you can do it. Help me with my unbelief. I mean, don't we do that all the time? Somewhere, so, and, and I think I'm, I think I, my, my, my personal walk, I'm going to expose myself a little bit. I think I'm too conservative sometimes. I really do. I think sometimes I go to God and I pray for a healing for somebody or I pray for somebody not expecting God to heal. I want to be on the, I don't want to do that anymore. Now, I know God is good and I do trust him, but Somebody, I think Casey posted something, Julie and I were talking about it this, today, about something going on, and I'm, I'm going to kill the story, um, but believers somewhere in Africa that were going to be killed, and the children had a vision of Jesus, he told them he was going to protect them, and the whole group of people, some were killed, and others are coming to Christ through it. That's exactly what Jesus did in the scriptures. Why is my Baptist heart always going, no, I'm wrong. And so are you if you think that God allowing kids to be killed because of their faithfulness in Jesus is not God either. Both sides of the coin are wrong. Are, are you following me? I, I don't want to lose you in this, but they're both wrong. They're both wrong. Not believing that God can is wrong and believing that he should is just as wrong. Who are you to say, what should God do? You don't need him to be God if you do that. You're God. The minute we start demanding, and by the way, if you don't think this is a thing in Christendom, you can buy books that tell you incantation prayers to pray for whatever disease you have, from blood-borne diseases to the flu to a one leg shorter than another. And there are people who claim to be evangelical Christians that tell you if you say these words, God will heal that. He must. It moves his heart. Wow, he's no longer God, he's Santa Claus. If I'm good enough, th this, is, this is a faith question. If you trust in God, then you trust in God, including his plan. If you trust in God, then you understand that sometimes his plan is difficult and painful, and sometimes he relieves your pain for his glory. But in both, God is good. Back to our text. So he heals him. The crowd thinks he's dead. We just saw that just because he did miracles all throughout the Jewish communities, people didn't follow him. So miracles aren't the solution to people's lack of turning to Jesus. 
Verse 28. You, you, you guys know, and I hope you're thinking enough now. We're, we're getting towards the end. We're, I'm bringing this all together now. So I hope you're thinking, what were the disciples thinking during all this? I mean, he, he just got mad at them. He heals this kid. They must have been going, oh, man, we screwed up again. But they don't ask any questions. Yet. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, so it's later in the day, the crowd has left, the demon is gone, they ask the question that everybody wants the answer to. Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Please note, that is what they asked. We. Why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? You know, a lot of times we ask questions and we don't think about the way we ask it, but the truth is, out of the mouth comes the real utterance of the heart. That's what Scripture says, right? And that is their question. In fact, that would be our question. In fact, if you're thinking, if God gave them the authority to cast out demons, you should be asking yourself, why couldn't they cast out demons? Let me tell you the answer to that question, because people can't cast demons out. People never cast demons out. Not one demon has ever been cast out by a human. I watch ghost adventures. I've seen it. Satan does whatever he, does, he wants to do in order to bring glory to himself. He'll even act like he's obeying you. You see, the truth is that all the power belongs to God. Every stinking little tiny piece of it. In Matthew's telling of the story, in Matthew 17, it records us, it records Jesus saying that this kind of demon is only cast out through faith in God. In this story, when he asks, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Verse 29 of Mark 9 says, Jesus replied, well, this kind, of, uh, uh, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. If you take both texts together, what you have, and, and, and I, I, know, I know how we think, because we're going, okay, we need to pray longer. Look up here, look up here, look up here. We need to, they needed to pray. Okay, so this is what our Romanesque Western thinking mind. We're always looking for bullets, bullet points. How do I cast out demons? Okay, pray and faith. Those are great religious words, but what he's talking about is what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, this demon you can't cast out without me. It's only me. You can add pray. They didn't even pray. <laughs> Do you get that? So this guy comes up. Picture the story again. The guy comes up, crowd follows, and says, I need the master. They say, well, what can we do? He's not here. How can we help you? You need food? You need benevolence? You know, come to church Sunday. There he, he's like, no, I've got a demon-possessed son. Disciples immediately kick in. Oh, we do demon possession. I even have a business card. Little key to demon possession. You know exactly where I'm going, don't you? How many times have we had evangelistic outreaches where the last thing we do is pray? Because it's really not the first thing we do. Because we actually believe that if the music is good and the stage is great and the pastor is zoned in and on fire, there's a little fire icon on Facebook, and it's one of my favorite things. When somebody puts a beam up there, they go, I love J.I. Packer. He's on fire. Good for J.I. Packer, but nobody's getting saved because of J.I. Packer. Some of you are going, who is J.I. Packer? Nobody important. <laughs> Servant of the living God, that's all. Just so you know, nobody's getting healed outside of the power of God. It's God. And the problem is, and this is why I said earlier, if you've been in ministry, we forget that. 
Every day becomes going into the office at 8.30, study until 9.30, appointment at 10, at 11.15. And it's like, okay, dear God, uh, would you please bless my work today? What? Is what the Lord said. Bless what? My work. Okay, God, help me, help me to know what to say. <laughs> wow. Did I tell you that you said anything important? How about letting me speak through you? There was a, a, a Sunday school lesson that I had as a little kid, and I've never forgotten it because um, the teacher brought in a spectrum. You, you know a little glass thing, crystal? You know I'm talking about a, a spectrum, right? That's the right term? Prism. A prism, that's the right word. And they, I never said I spoke English well. <laughs> it's not me anyway, it's God, knock it off, okay. And, and our Sunday school teacher actually started the class by just hanging it in the window, and it was a sunny day, and it was old glass in a small church. And, and as she was teaching, the rainbows hit the walls. And she says, that's you, that's the glory of God, and it's the sun that makes that happen. That's us, that's the power and one we're supposed to be pointing to, and the reflection of our life should draw people to the king. Your job is not to reach anybody for Jesus, to tell people about the Jesus that's reached you. Your job is not to cast out demons. It's to pray for people so that God can remove the demon if he wants to, or the sickness. Your job is to minister the truth of the gospel to anyone and everybody, whether they're, it's on evangelism day or you're at work. That is our job. And our job is to never forget what Satan wants us to forget, and that is that only things done in the power of God happen for eternity. That we can manipulate the emotions of people if we have the right music behind us and the right preaching and the right sense of humor, but it lasts about an hour and a half. The only thing that lasts is done from the throne room of God. And the disciples forgot that in this story. And that's why he looked at them and said, have I not been with you? How long have I been with you? How long do I have to be with you until you realize what happened in that boat when you thought you were drowning and I was asleep in the back was a lesson for life? You remember that story? He's asleep on the rowing cushion and he had told them, go to the other side of the lake and they start drowning. The storm comes up, the boat is sinking and they're bailing. And they finally get mad at Jesus who's sleeping. Master, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus looks up and says, where's your faith? Calm. And he calms the storm. And the point was, I did not tell you to take us to the middle of the lake, let the storm panic you, freak out, and wake me up. I told you to go to the other side. But don't you understand we're going to drown? I know that. See, I can raise you. Actually, what would have been really cool is my plan was to sink the ship, drown you all, give you gills. We would have walked out on land and told everybody about the power of God. Because that's the kind of thing our God does. I remind you of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three were thrown in, four were there. Or Jesus, when he's grabbed by the crowd to be thrown off the cliff, somehow he ends up walking right through the crowd. That's what our Lord does. He waits for people to be dead and then he raises them. When he could have saved them while they were still alive. I think it's interesting in this story. These people think that little boy's dead. Why didn't Jesus just cast the demon out? Why does he let it play out? The demon had already identified who Jesus was when he walked up. Why did he wait? Because of the show. He wants to make a point. When you think it's over, it's just beginning. He asked the disciples, how are you going to feed these people? I don't know. Anybody got any food? Well, I got a few. Bring me the few loaves of bread. Dear Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for this food. Thank you. Twelve basketfuls. That's what our God does. 
That's what we're learning about Jesus of the Scriptures. The Jesus of the Scriptures doesn't need us to organize so well that we have ministries that rock this community. He needs just people willing to be used by him as a spectrum of his love, as a prism, so that the world will go, what's so different about you? Aren't you upset about what they're doing to Trump? Aren't you upset about what Trump's doing to this country? Not really. Why? Because my kingdom, my citizenship is there, not here. Aren't you worried about your kids? If I'm not thinking about God. You see, what the world needs is real transformed people. People who actually believe it's the power of God, and the disciples don't believe that yet. They don't believe it. Well, how can you say that, Mark? Because Peter was up on the mountain wanting to worship all three, and the other nine are at the bottom thinking that they can cast demons out. But they were told to cast demons out, not in their own power, they weren't. They were told to cast demons out in the power of God. And their question was, why couldn't we do it? Because you're not me. And isn't that the struggle? Isn't that our battle? And why was Jesus upset? Because he knows that the time of being with them is short. In fact, Mark, and I'm not going to read these to you because we're going to end, but Mark goes on to say that Jesus from that point on that day started talking about his death again. Why does he talk about his death? Because he wants them to understand that they're going to have to plug in faithfully to him. Even when I'm not present and people come to you for something, you're still going to have access to me and you're going to have to pray. You're gonna, they didn't even pray, you guys. They didn't even pray. Well, why should we have prayed, Jesus? You were up with Peter, John, and James on the mountain because I'm everywhere. He's everywhere. Pray. Right in front of people. When your waitress comes and pours water or your tea all over you, can I pray for you? I'm not one of those religious people. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we should pray with people. Let's do that. Let's try that this week. Over the next three weeks, at next time, okay, so Christmas is coming. Walmart's going to be nuts. And they're going to have, actually, I just found out Walmart's going to have a fifth teller at the counter for you. <laughs> but when you're standing in line and you have your arms full and the people in, behind you is grumpy, how about talking to them? How's your Christmas plans? They might growl. Keep talking. We are not stuck. We're not stuck here. This isn't even our life. This is just the beginning. This is our ministry. We go home to rest. We're going to have a blast this week. We're going to have agape feast, and we're going to have one moment where we have a party together, and, and then we're going to go back to work. When we get to heaven, we're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we'll never work again. But for now, this is about this. When you go to a doctor and you're freaked out because of your medical condition, there is something amazing in the doctor's ears when he sees somebody who's a man or woman of faith. Doctor, please save my life. I'll do the best I can. Thank you. I just want you to know that even if you can't, it's okay. Because I know where I'm going. That's confidence. I love this story. Um... I'm going to go, Kevin, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, t to jump to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Just so you know that your task is just like the disciples. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about, boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. You're not a good Christian because you tried hard. You're God's masterpiece. And why? Because he created us anew in Christ Jesus' power. That's what he's talking about. 
so that we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. Chapter 3, one chapter later, verse 14 says this, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Not your teaching or training or knowledge or ability, but trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how high, wide, and how long, and high, and deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, though, when you experience the love of Christ, then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power. It comes from not your task, not your training, not your smarts, but from God. Now all glory be to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's our God. Let's close in prayer. Father, it is so easy for us to forget you. So I'm going to just ask that you remind us that you are the point. You are the power. You are our Savior. You're our Daddy. And this is not about not going to hell. It is about us walking close to you. And when we do that, we don't go to hell. Heaven is your home that you've invited us to enjoy you at. We've made it about judgment. You've made it about adoption. You asked us to trust you as Lord like a child trusts their daddy. So Lord, help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we got a little work to do, folks. We need to take this row out. John Estes is going to kind of lead this, but we need to take this row out. Uh, and then we'll get some tables and bring them in, set this up, and Bible study is going to start in about 12 or 13 minutes. won't take long.